1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf. I'm in New York City. Joining me from Washington, D.C., we've got... Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law School. Hi, Rosa. Hi, David. And we also have with us uh, one of our favorites, Sam Vinograd, who is a commentator for CNN and is a former National Security Council staffer. Hi, Sam. Hi, David. Hi, Rosa. Um
0: so-
1: Welcome. Uh, so let me uh, dive right in. we are going we've got a, a sort of a tight episode here t- uh, today. Um I, and i I definitely want to get to some of the impeachment stuff, particularly the foreign policy component of the impeachment stuff. um but, but, you know, if there weren't an impeachment going on, we'd be looking <laughs> at the rest of the world. And there are stories that are happening in the rest of the world that are really, really big stories. And I just thought I would sort of throw out a question or two for each of you regarding those stories. And then maybe you can tell me if I'm missing something. Um, But Sam, just even as we're recording this episode, the Secretary of State of the United States, Mike Pompeo, um, has gone on television to reverse 50 years of U.S. policy towards the Middle East and has said that from now on, the United States will consider um, Israeli settlement activity in the West Bank and East Jerusalem not to be in violation of international law, to be perfectly okay. Um, and of course, this is very pleasing to the hard right in Israel, and it's very pleasing to some on the hard right in the United States. Um, uh, although- You know, a lot of people are going to say, well, this is just Trump trying to play for the Jewish vote, but the Jews don't really support Trump in the U.S. The ones who really like this stuff are evangelicals um, uh, for reasons that Pompeo himself uh, has expressed, because he has expressed uh, a view that, uh, you know, he believes in the rapture. Uh, which is a deal uh, where you need Israel uh, in order for it to happen, but you don't actually need Jews. It doesn't actually work out very well for the Jews. So it's it's you know it's a little worrisome to have a Secretary of State making policy who actually believes that a good possible outcome is the end of the world. But then maybe that's just me. What do you think, Sam?
0: I think that uh, so I'm a Jewish American. I believe in Congratulations. a solution. Uh, thank you. I believe in a two-state solution, um, not only because I think it is in the best interest of all Israelis, whether they be Jewish, Palestinian, or anything else. And I think we have to look at this action today as part of a broader uh, trend with Trump, right? What Trump has done on Israel policy is not to look at a Middle East peace process, which would involve two parties, the Palestinians and really Jewish Israelis but rather to do whatever makes Bibi Netanyahu happy. We've seen this with the Golan. We've seen this with various other statements on settlements in the past. And what we're really looking at while all that's happening is a massive bullying campaign against the Palestinians. I was watching Pompeo talk about this, and I was thinking to myself, gosh, when was the last time... Any senior official from the U.S. government actually sat down with the Palestinians to talk about a negotiation. We have taken funding away from the Palestinians. We've taken uh, an office in D.C. away from the Palestinians. I mean, I could just continue. There's a litany of tactics that have been used to really try to bully the Palestinians into submission, and not submission even get to the negotiating table. But it seems to be David submission to accept accept. A one-state solution, as defined by Bibi Netanyahu, and as a national security official, I don't think that's in the best interest of anybody in Israel right now.
1: No, I mean, look, anything that increases the likelihood of war is not in the interests of Israel, and uh, anything that does not recognize the real threats that exists are not in the interests of um, uh, Israel, and. Uh, You know, of course, this is one of those things that exacerbates tensions around the world. Um, You know, one of the things that happened today, Rose, I'll just throw out there for you, and you can comment on this in any way you like, is that the son of the prime minister of Israel tweeted out uh, and then deleted, but he tweeted out the following, which was, how come most of the globalist New World Order elite powerful men are also pedophiles? as of 11.40 this morning, the day we're recording this. Um, And that is... What? I'm very confused. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, speaking as a globalist, New World Order, elite, powerful man, I am not, and I am offended. But having said that, um, globalist is a code word for Jews. New World Order is a code word for Jews. Elite is a code word for Jews. Powerful men, we can debate that all we want. But... How did the files get into this? Well, this is a hard. (laughs) This is It's 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 Jeffrey Epstein. It's it's a hard right wing conspiracy theory. This is an alt right theory. And one of the weird things that has happened here is that the hard right in Israel and the alt right in the United States have somehow formed common cause. Even though the old right in the United States are anti-Semites, uh, and, and I, yeah, this I is know.
2: It's baffling on. and weird. It's baffling and weird. Um, uh, it's it's, <laughs> and I don't. I mean, for, for some years now, obviously the the Israeli right has been happy to take political support, accept political support from right-wing American evangelicals. Um, which has been sort of a marriage of convenience uh, at best. Um, and it's, it, 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 I sort of understand that particular marriage of convenience, but going to the as far as sort of actually actively playing into these anti Semitic tropes is really kind of shocking. I mean, I'm sure there probably were some. Some Jews in the run up to the Holocaust who actually argued that, you know, the Nazis weren't so bad and you could make common cause with them um, turned out to be a, a pretty bad mistake, needless to say. But I no, I mean, it's, it's shocking. It's, it's completely shocking. I, I don't I it's it's of a piece with, uh, you know, how people like Jared, uh, the president, President Trump's own son-in-law, speaking of sons and son in law sons-in-law. Uh, seems to have been happy to, to continue to cozy up to his father-in-law, despite the increasingly anti-Semitic rhetoric coming from many of, the, the, many of his father-in-law's political supporters. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know, there's not much more I can say other than that it is, it is bizarre, it is disturbing, uh, it seems extremely self-destructive and very sad.
1: Well, since you brought up Jared, let me switch the subject, uh, Sam, to another one of these issues that I wanted to touch upon. Jared just you know, closed a deal in China that was worth a few hundred million dollars to his company, which I think, you know, great for Jared. Uh, yes, he's a U.S. government official. Yes, he works in the White House. Yes, we have big open issues with China. Yes, you might think that was somewhat corrupt because it's corrupt. But you know that's that's the news. Because it isn't? is, yeah. Because it is right. <laughs> Meanwhile, however, th- Hong Kong is in flames. Um, the police, the army, have surrounded a university in Hong Kong. They trapped people in there. They they fired um, uh, live rounds into it. The the students fighting back with like slingshots and bows and arrows. Have you know tried to hold their own? Some of them escaped by a sort of movie-worthy, uh, you know, shimmying down a rope and getting away on on on, on motorbikes into 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 the crowds of Hong Kong. But this is a city that week after week after week has grown more and more tense, and the Chinese government is cracking down harder and harder. And it comes at the same time that the New York Times over this weekend. Uh, did some extraordinary reporting and came up with yeah. a bunch of, 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 of Chinese government documents that reveal the massive, final solution-like strategy of the Chinese government to round up, perhaps a million Uyghurs, uh, in northwestern China to put them into re-education camps. For those who don't follow this. Uyghurs are, are Muslims who are of Turkic background as well as Chinese background, and they have been subjected to long-term discrimination in China. But this has now become uh, industrialized, institutionalized discrimination in China. Um, and yet, you know, the, the U.S. is pushing and pushing uh, for a trade deal. And the president of the United States is quiet as a church mouse on uh, abuses on all of these fronts, and I'm wondering what you think of that.
0: Well, what I think is President Trump has his eye on the prize, and unfortunately that prize does not have to do with national security, the promotion of democracy, or human rights. President Trump is singularly focused on pretty much one thing, getting the Chinese to agree to purchase more U.S. agricultural products. That has been the pervasive theme throughout his trade negotiations. Looking at his Twitter feed is going to give anyone whiplash on this point because he goes from placating President Xi Jinping to threatening the Chinese um, with more tariffs, which he says, by the way, Americans, uh, the Chinese are paying, which is untrue. Americans are. But he is singularly, singularly focused on that, so that he can say that the Chinese are buying more of our stuff and he's made more money for America. Because of that, President Trump, I'll start with Hong Kong, has really parroted Chinese talking points about what's happening in Hong Kong. I believe a few weeks ago, David, he used the word, um, he, didn't, he didn't speak about the Hong Kong protests and the democratic right to protest. He used really Chinese-ish language to describe what was happening. Um, and at the same time, with respect to the Uyghurs, it's interesting, Secretary of State Pompeo has been pretty outspoken on the Uyghur issue. I believe the State Department announced sanctions against officials uh, that are involved in the mass detentions um, against the Uyghurs and other um, minorities. But President Trump has been completely quiet. And my conclusion from all of that is he doesn't want to upset the apple cart with respect to getting the Chinese to agree again to these, um, these purchases. That said, I don't think the, the Chinese are going to agree to these pur- purchases anyway, unless we agree to lift tariffs. So it, it's a losing battle. But the transactional approach that the president takes is is really omnipresent everywhere. And just to tie this a little bit to the impeachment inquiry, which we'll get to, the president isn't even really being transactionable, transactional about something because he thinks it'll help U.S. national security or the economy or what have you my sense is he being transactional about the Chinese um, trade deal because he wants to use it as a political soundbite um, and that's something unfortunately that theme that we've seen in the impeachment inquiry as well you know trading an official act uh, for something that's viewed pr- as a private benefit
1: yeah and also you know if you're following the trade talks and I'm a former trade official I can't help but follow trade talks which is perhaps something that I should be in treatment for. But in any event, you know, I've followed <laughs> trade talks and the, 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 they're not going very well because uh, uh, the the president is not following through, as you point out, on the tariff promise to the Chinese. The Chinese are not happy with it. And the Chinese are now starting to say, OK, well, why don't we take our chances with impeachment in the election? Why don't we see how things uh, turn out here? So nobody's getting... Um, what they want perhaps in the long run, but Rosa, the Chinese are getting what they want right now, which is silence from the one country that traditionally would lead the pressure when the, these kinds of systematic human rights abuses took place.
2: Uh, I, I would say, though, that, that Trump's reasons for his silence on what's going on in Hong Kong and elsewhere in terms of human rights issues more generally related to China uh, has to do with something deeper or, or, or maybe something more more shallow. <laughs> I'm not sure. More shallow in him. Um it's it's not just a quid pro quo on I know we're not supposed to use that word anymore, when it comes to to getting the Chinese to buy more US agricultural products, et cetera, or other trade related quid pro quos. I think Trump's deepest instincts, and this this is also why he's, you know, siding siding with Israeli se- settlements and siding with Netanyahu. You know, his deepest instinct is to side with the biggest, loudest bully in any given situation. Um, And I think that that, for him, actually transcends. uh, I mean, this is the nicest thing I can say about Donald Trump um, is I don't think he always does, in fact, enact in his own self-interest, although he very frequently seeks policies that are solely in his personal self-interest or in his electoral self-interest or his financial self-interest. But I think he is too messed up in too many deep ways to consistently and rationally engage in ways that are in his self-interest. I think his, on some fairly deep instinctive psychological level, uh, he likes bullies. They appeal to him. He likes to align himself with bullies. And, and frankly, my guess is that it is that more than any policy considerations, both when it comes to uh, Israel uh, and the shifted position on settlements and his support for Netanyahu more generally, and when it comes to his total silence on what's going on in Hong Kong, for instance, uh, that's probably the single biggest factor.
1: Before we go on, a moment to talk about one of our sponsoring organizations for which we're very grateful. You've heard about them before, Mova Globes. Uh, We talked about the fact that when I was running foreign policy, we were looking for something great to give the leading global thinkers of this world. And we found these amazing, uh, globes that rotate by themselves, thanks to the light, and they—they they symbolize what we were talking about, which was, you know, the world. But also, they were innovative and clever, and so we gave them out as the awards uh, to those leading global thinkers. Um, and they're very popular. So popular, in fact, with me that there's one sitting here on my desk—a uh, rotating globe of of actually stars in the universe that my wife gave me. Uh, and I and I actually have some, some others. I like maps. So, you know, that I got collect maps. So that was kind of a thing for me. Um, but uh, when you take these globes and you put them by ambient light, they turn on their own. They're fantastic. They're available in lots of different designs. I think there are 40 different designs, including world maps and outer space and famous uh, artworks. And uh, they're they're fascinating. You know, they're one of those things that if you have it on your desk, you'll spend a lot of time, uh, looking at it. And so, uh, I, I, I think you should, ought to give it a look, you know, what you can do is you can go to, uh, movaglobes.com slash deep state. There's a coupon code there, which is deep state all one word. Uh, and if you, uh, Uh, go there and you use the code, you'll get 10% off your purchase. So you go to www.movaglobes.com slash deepstate, use the coupon code deepstate, Um, uh, or if you want more information, go to that address, look at it. You'll get to see the different kind of globes that they've got, the famous artworks, Van Gogh or Monet artworks. Um, uh, You you know, I've, I've, I've even heard that you know, people like Elon Musk have these globes. You know, because they're cool, and 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 they're just the kind of thing that I would imagine uh, that he would got. So go to deep deepstate Use deepstate as your code and get ten percent off of your purchase. And we thank them for their support. Yeah, and so you know, one of the things that strikes uh, me as watching all of this is that. We're impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. We'll get there in one minute. But the world continues to spin around its axis. And, you know, Sam, if you just take, you know, yesterday's newspaper, today's newspaper, what do you have? You have a government being swapped out in Bolivia under sort of uh, non-democratic circumstances. And, you know, they're both sides' perspectives on that. But that's an issue. You've got more uh, protests and unrest in Venezuela. You've got protests now Iran, in Iran <laughs> right. You've got big protests Elfria, in Iran. Uh, you've ratcheting Elfria up and, te- te- tension in Iran. Um, and then you know, in and in, in another one of these things that gets lost to Americans, they may remember that the president of Turkey came to visit us last week and then he went home and continued his onslaught against the Kurds. And now we're getting reports of increasing human rights violations in Syria. Um, uh, against the Kurds. And we you know we don't we're not addressing this. Why did Pompeo address this this issue today and and put it in the, you know uh, out there and it was to distract from the critiques of impeachment people who come from the State Department or foreign service officers, or to distract from the impeachment itself. Um, and to try to win support with some core base group, Uh, We're not really doing foreign policy anymore. The world is happening to us.
0: Well, I I will say, I think this announcement from Pompeo, my sources tell me it was supposed to come last week. Uh, So I I don't know that it's as much to distract from the impeachment inquiry. Perhaps it was viewed as as a corollary benefit. But, you know, David, what's happening with the impeachment inquiry and the president's behavior is directly related to everything you're talking about. Every time a witness speaks, and talks about how the regular policy process was sidelined uh, to make way for Giuliani and Gordon Sondland, right, who should have been working on EU level issues, not Ukraine and God knows what else. But every time a witness speaks about that, Air charge in Ukraine, for example, uh, senior State Department officials, senior White House Department officials, uh, White House officials, Marie Ivanovich went on television and said that Ukrainians during the smear campaign against her kept asking, when are you leaving? Which undermined her credibility. Every time a witness speaks and every time Donald Trump attacks them, I think it diminishes the ability of our officials globally to be taken seriously. First of all, foreign counterparts have no idea of US officials are kind of here today, gone tomorrow based upon what happened to Ambassador Yovanovitch. And can you imagine Our charge in Ukraine, Bill Taylor, sitting across from Ukrainians right now, and them knowing that the president has insulted him and doesn't have faith in him and has smeared him. I mean, how are we expected to in any way have officials that are taken seriously when the president is directly undercutting them? I mean, you look at something like Ukraine, right? Ukraine's having a peace conference with Russia next month, with France and Germany. Who's actually taken seriously working on Ukraine right now as part of these Russian negotiations? It's pretty. The president has undercut the ability of our actual diplomats to do their jobs, as much as they they still might be trying to work on this stuff. That I don't. I don't think by no fault of their own that they're taken as credibly anymore because of the president's actions with Giuliani and Somlend.
1: That's very charitable, Sam, um, because you know <laughs> he's he's directly undermined uh, Taylor. He pushed out. Uh, Yovanovitch. He's pushed, he's attacked the foreign service officers who's come forward as being never Trumpers. So they're all marginalized in this process. NSC staffers who had to deal with it were largely pushed out. He obviously played up Giuliani and Sondland and so forth. And and those folks um, remain, uh, you know, backed by Trump, but they're also- And Pompeo, by the way. I mean-
0: Someone said Pompeo sent him a congratulatory note a few weeks ago telling him to, quote, keep banging on. Right, I mean, yeah. that's who's getting empowered by Pompeo and Trump, right? right. You, me an me ambassador much. that, that no, doesn't on. work on Ukraine, that was working in Ukraine, and an ambassador who, according to other witnesses, didn't prep for his own meetings, used his personal cell phone, and took a call from the president of the United States in a restaurant in Ukraine— And had the president speaking so loudly that other people could hear. I mean, this is not, you know, the best of the best in the U.S. diplomatic uh, corps here. And that's who Pompeo and Trump are empowering to speak on their behalf.
1: Yeah, well, and as it happens, Giuliani's under investigation. Sondland on Thursday is going to go before um, the House, and he's going to sit down, and they're going to say, you lied about this, you lied about this, you lied about this. Now you're telling us something different. Are you lying? Are you saying the other people are lying? Sondland's in pretty serious legal trouble, um, Rosa. But you know, it, it does all come down to an old American tradition, and that is um, these ambassadors who are not picked because they know anything about ambassadoring, you know, they don't know anything about diplomacy. They have no foreign policy experience. But Sondland gave a million dollars to the Trump inaugural. Uh, Sondland was a Trump supporter. And so he didn't trust the foreign service. He trusted the guy who gave him a million bucks, even though the guy didn't know the first thing about doing his job. That's a kind of a dangerous tradition in U.S. foreign policy, isn't it? This kind of, you know, handing out, you know, ambassadorial plums to donors.
2: I, I mean, it's it's certainly a longstanding one. Although Trump has, um, I, I've seen some statistics. I don't have them at my fingertips um, about the percentage of uh, ambassadorial posts that have gone to uh, friends of the president rather than professionals. Um, and certainly, while every president uh, from both parties has always used ambassadorships as a way to reward big donors um, and supporters. President Trump has filled a much higher percentage of ambassadorships with uh, non-professionals. I, you know, I think that up to a point, um, there are certain ambassadorial posts that are largely ceremonial and not a whole heck of a lot is at stake. And everybody knows that the uh, DCM is the one who's really in charge and the ambassador's role is purely ceremonial. Um, hosting lots of parties, going to lots of parties where where it doesn't matter that much as long as the uh, if the person that who's nominally the ambassador is a is an experienced diplomat, as long as they are not nuts, um, as long as they understand that they're not really calling the shots. You know, There are certain embassies where they can't do too much harm. Um, so I, I don't I don't know that. I, I, it's a good question. I haven't thought about it that much. Um, yet, um, so I guess it's a good question whether we should eliminate the practice altogether. Um, but I certainly think it's it's absolutely fair to say that, you know, in 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 the case of Trump uh, with ambassadorships, frankly, as with other senior posts, um, the practice of simply rewarding your friends and donors with no regard for their skills and aptitudes uh, and 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 displacing the existing career expertise. Uh, is damaging, not among other things, it's just damaging to U.S. foreign policy because you have people in there who don't know what they're doing. Um, and I think the the active efforts that Trump has been making to not merely ignore but actively undermine the career people whose job it is to help those political appointees be successful um, is not only you know horrifically demoralizing for people either currently in or contemplating any kind of government career. Um, but but it's also, you know, it's just foolish. It's just foolish for the United States. I, I, it's almost funny, I, I've got to say, you know, watching Trump, um, whose reaction over and over every single time uh, any, any career folks um, are testifying in the impeachment proceedings uh, and they say something that is uh, harmful to him, his immediate reaction is, I don't even know this person. You know, who is this person? Um, and, and of course, you know, he doesn't know these people uh, because he doesn't use the federal government that is there for him to use, in a sense. Although he does, Although the, the, he does the know the
0: people that he's specifically saying.
2: He's usually lying, number one. But, but it's certainly true that he does not appear to have the faintest idea why we actually have people who work in government uh, and who are not necessarily the the big donors or the glamorous political appointees, uh, uh, but who are working at more in the trenches, and he doesn't he doesn't seem to grasp that they do something. And I think that's a you know that's an even broader problem.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think the problem. Is I'm waiting
2: for him to say Mike Pence. I've never heard of him. Who is he?
1: Be be patient. Be patient because you know it's bound to come because of Trump you know, divides the, you know, the the activities of the government, into two categories, important things and unimportant things. Important things are things that he does. Unimportant things are everything else. And, you know, that makes the people who do those things unimportant people. I've long for many, many, many years been against this notion of rewarding donors with ambassadorial posts. Um, I've written a lot about it. I've been wrong a couple of times. You know, I, I remember writing a big long piece exp- explaining that this was a terrible mistake when Caroline Kennedy was appointed the ambassador to Japan, and as it turned out, she did a terrific job as ambassador to Japan. Um, uh, but I just didn't think she was sufficiently qualified for the job. Um, but you know, having said that, uh, you know, most of the time these things do not work out so well. Uh, By the way, I encourage people, there was a CBS News report today that perhaps behind some of these appointments is a pay-to-play scheme uh, with the RNC, uh, asking people for donations while their nominations are in process. So there may be more color to this. And now a word about another of our sponsors, a new sponsor for Deep State Radio. Uh, And this is an interesting one. If you've got something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, there is a new option out there that you may wanna consider. It's called BetterHelp. Uh, It's an online counseling service. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Uh, you can get help at your own time and your own pace. It's secure. The counselors are licensed and professional, and they deal with things like depression and anger and stress and anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma. Everything's uh, confidential. I think there's something like 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists that are part of this uh, network that's accessible online, and you can communicate with them via text or chat or phone or video you can start communicating with people in 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 under 24 hours and you can do it via desktop or mobile web or android or ios you can have video calls you can have phone calls uh, it's secure it's convenient it's professional it's affordable it's not um, a crisis line and i have to say i've not tried this although listeners to the show might think that i ought to um, but uh, it's an affordable option and it's worth your investigating. So go to the website, uh, which is betterhelp.com. Uh, and if you go and you go to betterhelp.com slash deep state, uh, you fill out a questionnaire and then they'll assess your needs and match you with a counselor. Um, and you'll, uh, you'll get a 10% discount. Uh, so go to betterhelp.com slash deep state. Look at what they're doing. Obviously, make a judgment based on, 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 on what you think might be uh, in your best interest. And perhaps, you know, give it a try. Get a discount if you use the discount code Deep State. Thanks to them for helping to underwrite this episode of Deep State Radio. So as we go forward uh, and look at the impeachment uh, uh, proceedings in the week ahead, Sam, I noticed that on Twitter you had – Um, uh, some pretty interesting, you know, uh, uh, pointers about how do you listen to Vindman or how do you listen to Fiona Hill as the week unfolds, particularly since we know that, you know, Trump and other opponents of this process will be tweeting out nonsense in real time. So, you know, perhaps you could go back and and highlight a couple of those Mm -hmm. key points.
0: Sure. The first point is, and I was talking about this a little bit uh, this morning over at CNN, but with all the witnesses, with all the depositions, I think we all need to keep our our eyes out for what this investigation is, is actually about. I am deeply upset about what we have found out about what's happening at the State Department and elsewhere, but this is about a presidential abuse of power, the solicitation of foreign election interference, and self-dealing from the Oval Office. When we listen to this testimony, we have to really remember what we're waiting to listen, listen for. What we're waiting to listen for is, did the President of the United States direct anyone, someone, to solicit foreign election interference in the form of these investigations into political rivals um, and a public statement about those investigations, which is basically information war- soliciting information warfare against Americans, but. We're waiting to hear all that. And the missing link is Gordon Sondland, uh, who is going to testify, and Mick Mulvaney, who is not. Gordon Sondland spoke with the president on several occasions, which is highly unusual for an ambassador, even a qualified one, to have a direct line to the president. But we're waiting for that testimony from Sondland on Wednesday. Tomorrow, we have Lieutenant Colonel Binman, Fiona Hill, Jennifer Williams, and I believe Tim Morrison as well, all White House officials. And when you look at witnesses, Remember one thing, the president's personal personnel team hired them to serve within the White House walls. It's not that easy to get a job at the White House. Well, unless you're on this president's friends and family list, it's a pretty extensive vetting process. Um, and you're hired by the president's personal personnel team based upon your expertise, but also based upon your reliability. So the witnesses that are testifying tomorrow were all hand-picked by this president's team to serve within the White House. The president is likely going to deride them um, and their testimony, say it's hearsay or they're never Trumpers or what have you, but he picked these people. Fiona Hill was with him in Helsinki when he met with Putin, right? I mean, these are people that have had close proximity to the president. Vinman says that he hasn't. um, And Jennifer Williams is a Penn State who um, the president insulted yesterday. But these are all these are all the president's men and women who are coming forward publicly and they will be um, setting up. And I'm sorry, Fiona Hill is actually testifying later in the week, but they will be really talking about their views on the president's behavior and Solomon's behavior. So, you know, every time the president insults him, he's just insulting people that he really chose to come work for him.
1: Uh, yeah, abs- absolutely chose and worked with them closely and had no complaints about them until they started speaking the truth Uh, in public. Rosa, as you look ahead, this seems like a fairly big week uh, because you do have some of these very high profile um, uh, 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 people involved, including Vindman and Sondland and, and, and Fiona Hill. Do you expect this will move things forward? Do you think that this impeachment process is having the political effect that it needs to have for it to be meaningful? Or do you think this is an exercise within one of our two disconnected info bubbles.
2: Um, I think, in some ways, the answer is both of those things. Um, we were talking about this in our podcast with Ryan Goodman last week, and and I was noting that uh, uh, support for impeachment has actually dropped in the last month um, by uh, about two to three percentage points across all the averaging all the polls this is if you can go you you can look at this yourselves on the 538 blog um, which is keeping a running average of polls on impeachment um, so 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 far the last month's events far from increasing public support for impeachment appeared to have somewhat diminished it from where it was uh, a month prior to that now it's still higher than it was three months ago but But the fact that once the hearings actually started, we have seen on average support for impeachment diminish um, is in some ways shocking uh, and utterly depressing. So in in that sense, do I think that what happens this week is likely to take any of those people who do not support impeachment and turn them into people who think, oh my goodness, actually, this guy really does need to be impeached. I don't think that's going to happen. that being said, I don't think it's a useless exercise for for two reasons. Um, one being that even if all it does, even if all this does is take those who are already disinclined to support Trump and makes them even more disinclined to support Trump, that will matter come November because that is in part that's part of what drives voters to actually go out on a cold day or a rainy day or whatever it may be and and vote. Um, I think it will drive democratic unity. I, there's been a lot of hand wringing with uh, in the media and the Democratic Party about the the sheer number of candidates, which indeed is is somewhat ridiculously high, and whether they'll be pulling support from one another. I, I do think that the impeachment proceedings make it more likely that, that at the end of the day, uh, Democrats will rally around very strongly around whoever it is, uh, because they are so determined to make sure that the next president is anyone but, but Donald Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, so for, for that reason, I, and it, well, the, the other reason to support the impeachment proceedings, notwithstanding, and something else we've talked about frequently here is I think it's just, it is a constitutional responsibility and whether it is successful politically or not, um, if we just start shrugging our shoulders and saying it's okay for a president to be corrupt, it's okay for a president to be th- a thug, it's okay for a president to use the power of the presidency for his personal Financial and electoral advantage, you know, it's sort of all over. Um, so, so you know, I think that from a sort of deep historical perspective of how does history evaluate this period, um, this is something that has to be done, regardless of its near-term political impact. Um, but that being said, as I as I started out by saying, uh, the likelihood that this changes the minds of those who currently support trump seems to me negligible
1: okay so we have about 30 seconds left sam as you look ahead to the week what are you looking forward to the most is it going to be the cross-examination of sondland or perhaps kurt volker or the uh, fiery language and professionalism of fiona hill who will tell everybody about john bolton's role in this is is it uh, sort of uh, the fact that Vindman's Vin, going to be the first uh, non-hearsay witness in all of this. Sondland is also a non-hearsay witness. What, what, are, you, what are you looking for?
0: My eyes are on Sondland. He's going to testify after testimony preceding him. That, that is really the table setting for him to either perjure himself, call all previous witnesses liars, or engage in a series of I do not recalls. And again, this is about a direct link to the president and firsthand evidence that the president abused his office. And for that reason, my eyes are on someone. And David, I am an optimist at my core, believe it or not. I am just (laughs) waiting for one of these senior male officials, Pompeo, Pence, O'Brien, someone to defend the public servants that the president is smearing. I'm not holding my breath. But seriously, we're, we know there's going to be a barrage of insults against these witnesses. I am just waiting and hoping, both for just human reasons, personal reasons, but also for national security reasons, as I mentioned at the outset of this podcast, for someone to speak up on these officials' behalf. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a that's that's something that one can hope for very much, although I suspect it's going to fall on Barack Obama or somebody else. Uh, Rosa, what are you looking forward to this week? We have 20 seconds or so.
2: Well, despite everything I just said, I have to say I, I sure can't wait to see what Hall uh, Gordon, <laughs> Gordon Sondland has to say. It will be a lot of fun, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be good. But I have to say there are no ba- there are no bad episodes in the impeachment this week. Every single person has got a big story to tell, um, and uh, and and this this saga by the end of this week, is going to have advanced quite a bit, I think. I think it's going to be a very impactful week. And that's why I'm so glad that we could have you guys involved in, in framing it for us. Of course, we'll be back later in the week. Uh, I should say, I'm just going to throw in here before we wrap up, that uh, this was one of those episodes where I thought we were going to have our friend Evelyn Farkas on the episode. Uh, and today, Evelyn Farkas announced she was running for Congress. Um, uh, which she had let me know in advance. And so she is going to be off busy uh, running for Congress and raising money and doing all of those kinds of things. Uh, and if those of you who have heard her and think she's great, you should go and, and, and look up her website and make judgments about how you want to support her. But she's just the kind of person I think we need in Congress. And Rosa, after two and a half years of doing this, she is our first regular alum to, to uh, throw her hat in the ring. And I'm waiting for your... I know. In a few years,
2: we'll have a pre- yeah, exactly. Corey and I are we're gonna co-run for president. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you would support that, Sam. I would like that, that ticket. I would. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Yeah. Uh, okay. And you know, Sam, you could be the national security advisor. Uh, I, know. I will oh, still. Man. Okay, that's a. Good, it's a good team. It's a. It's a. It's. It's what we should hope for as a country. I will be here regardless of what that happens <laughs> at Deep State Radio. So, uh, 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 come back. Uh, come back next week. Uh, come back later this week, uh, and and join us again. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Rosa. And thanks to all of you for listening.